This one's for you guys who are doing well at your corporate job, but fear the golden handcuffs. If you guys feel like every year you're working harder and you're getting paid more, but you don't necessarily want to work until you're 65 years old, we've got an incredible story with our guest, Nick Perry, who quit his job making a quarter million dollars per year for the exact reason of fearing of those golden handcuffs. And he's built an incredible lifestyle where he lives in Mexico on a beach where he's coming to us today. So this is the podcast to 10X your income and replace your W-2. My name is David Letko, and I created a process that's helped people close 10,000 deals in the last seven years called Deal Machine. And my co-host is Ryan Haywood, who actually quit his job in 2019 when his sales commissions got cut. And he took a 14-day challenge and earned $8,500 through a business model called Wholesaling Real Estate, where you can make big checks from finding discounted, rundown properties. You guys are going to love this episode. So Nick, thank you so much for joining us. I love the beach in the background. Tell us how in 2014 did you end up making $12,000 on your very first real estate wholesaling deal? I think we got cut out there, but yeah, man, honored and excited to be here. Thank you guys so much for having me on. Of course. So how did you make that first $12,000? Uh, it was a long road. So, you know, definitely not an overnight success story. I moved down to Austin, Texas in 2014. I had actually 2013, I had five grand to my name. I had no job, no connection. All I knew was, you know, I wanted to um, be my own boss. And I came up, you know, I looked at all kinds of, you know, money making opportunities online, came across wholesale real estate on YouTube, and I uh, went all in on that. Um, it just resonated with me. It made sense in my mind. Um, and I started the old fashioned way, which back then they taught you to handwrite letters, um, do bandit signs. And I started by, um, you know, going down to the county courthouse, pulling records from the clerk's office. And at this time I was looking for probated houses, houses where the um, owner had died and it had been aired down to the next people. And I would write them a letter that I was looking to buy their house. And I would write hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of these by hand on my kitchen table. And um, I did this for a long time. I remember it took me 104 face-to-face uh, -face seller appointments before I got my first deal. It actually took me 11 months. So my first deal um, actually was an, an appointment I went on um, you know, probably 10 months prior to getting it closed. And uh like six or eight months later, the seller called me back and said they were ready to move forward. It was a old beat up house out in um, Bastrop, Texas, where uh, it was probably a teardown. Yeah, the family had, um, you know, hadn't been able to maintain the yard, been able to maintain the property. Um, it was an elderly couple that passed away. We contracted that property for $18,000 and we were able to make a wholesale assignment fee of $12,000. And that was my very first deal came from a handwritten uh, letter 11 months after you know, trying and getting my teeth kicked in along the way. So if you actually had it contracted for 18 and you made 12, that means did somebody end up buying it for, uh, let's see. 30,000. $30,000. Wow. Yeah. So how do you think you were able to get it under contract for such a good deal? Because the amount of repairs that the property needed, they didn't understand that that area has appreciated, you know, quite a bit. 
So there was a lot of gentrification going on there, a lot of new development, um, shopping centers going in that town. And they just wanted to get rid of it, right? It was a burden property for them. Um, the the heirs to the property lived in Houston. They were having to drive there every you know few weeks to cut the grass. And um, they didn't want the property anymore. They just wanted to uh, get that off of their plate. And so that was where I was able to come in and, and help them and make a $12,000. Hey, when you said you got you tried and got your teeth kicked in, can we talk about that? A little bit. What were some of the things that was giving you the teeth kicking in feels? Yeah. So, you know, I was very hard headed. You know, I was, you know, one of those guys that I'm going to figure everything else, you know, on my own. I'm going to try to YouTube university my way to success. And so I was watching a ton of different YouTube videos and getting conflicting information from different people online. And, um, you know, I just, wasn't very consistent. Remember, I had five grand in my name, so I didn't really have a marketing budget. I was doing everything, handwritten letters, handwritten bandit signs. When I was showing up to these um, homeowners' houses, I had no idea what I was talking about. I wasn't prepared um, in terms of my my real estate acumen and my knowledge to be able to properly comp a property. Um, and I think the sellers could see that. You know, They could see I was a young kid. I didn't know what the hell I was doing and what I was talking about. So um, I really struggled in the beginning because I wasn't uh, properly educated. I didn't have a mentor. And it wasn't until like I got a mentor that I really started getting traction and I was able to you know, get my first deal. Nice. What? So instead of doing YouTube University, what things did you find? What, what, what were the conflicting things? What were the things that you would hear one place and then hear another place that, that weren't jiving with each other? You know, everybody has a different, um, you know, channel for marketing. So I would hear, you know, use, um, this for, you know, use yellow letters, use, um, bandit signs, uh, use, um, you know, postcards. And I didn't know what to do. I don't use any of that stuff anymore, but in the beginning, that's what they taught. And so my marketing was not consistent, not dialed in my sales process, you know, was just kind of winging it based on, you know, the videos that, I was able to see for free on YouTube and it showed when I went out to these sellers appointments, they, you know, would, you know, kindly walk me out the door or sometimes tell me like, Hey, never call me again. And I would, you know, get back in my beater Mazda three and drive to the next appointment. And this is how it kind of went for the first, you know, 11 months. But, you know, I got better and better and I learned and I continue to get better. Uh, once I had mentorship, I really started to, Excel, I was able to, um, you know, start locking up contracts consistently, but I'm a byproduct of having good mentors in my life. Yeah, that's good. I, I wonder, like everybody says, well, I guess not everybody says, but one thing that I've heard consistently is to stick to one form of marketing. And I know I've told several people that like do one thing well and don't spread it out where you're doing bandit signs, you're doing driving for dollars, you're doing cold calling. Is that what you were seeing is like you were just, it there was nothing organized. And then when you did organize, what was your, what was your form of marketing that helped you hone everything in? Yeah. So I think you're absolutely right there. I think everything works, right? Cold calling still works. Uh, PPC works like, but you've got to choose, you know, what works for you and what's 
what's your expertise? I um, have really excelled with uh, pay-per-click advertising. So that was really when I started to get traction. Like I never got a lot of traction with the old school form of marketing. You know, direct mail, bandit signs, um, cold calling, SMS. Uh, I really got um, well-known for being able to do PPC at a high level. Mm. And I learned from doing it on my own. I found a PPC mentor back in 2014. He showed me the basics. And then I kind of took it from there and evolved it to what we have today. So, you know, for me, um, there's no hot, there's no higher return on ad spend than PPC. And it's a much higher quality lead, much lower uh, cost per contract, much uh, takes a lot less leads to close a deal, a uh, lot less time to close a deal. So in my opinion, that's the best form of marketing right now. So you got the first property by doing those letters though, right? Correct. And I continue to try to do it, but what I know, like I took that first $12,000 assignment fee and I rolled it hundred percent back into uh, marketing. So, you know, I already had a job at this point. So I took all that 12,000, put it back into uh, marketing. I put 6,000 into uh, Google ads and I put another 6,000 into postcards and the next like three or four deals came from PPC. I had maybe one or two come from the postcards. And then I realized like, okay, PPC, there's something something to learn here. And I really started dialing in on that. And that's what I built my career on is high inbound leads. Um, I've tried everything. I've spent hundreds of thousands of dollars on direct mail. Same thing with cold calling, texting, and uh, PPC is where I've excelled. Cool. What did the postcard say? And what does your PPC say? It, it rhymes the same message, you know, um, hey, we're, uh, I'm looking to buy your house. You know, the, the postcard just say, I remember I would hand write them, you know, it, it would say something like, hey, my name's Nick. I'm you know, a local home buyer. I'm looking to buy your house. Um, yeah, I can close. Yeah, all the same stuff. Fast, no commissions. And uh, give me a call back when you get this. And then the um, Google, you know, ads, they say all the same stuff you see every real estate investment company out there. Yeah, number one trusted home buyer. We buy houses locally. Get a no obligation cash offer. There's nothing special about the verbiage on the marketing. Um, you know, that's pretty much how it goes. Amazing. That's really important. Not, nothing special about the verbiage because a lot of people say, well, I don't know what to say. Or should my next one say something different? And I know you can get sophisticated and change it up, but I send the same thing every time and mm -hmm. it's worked for me. So what were you doing before this? Because I know you're somebody who did, he, that you had fear of the golden handcuffs, but seemed like making a quarter million dollars a year was a pretty nice life. So why was that so important to you? So when I moved to Austin, I remember I had five grand in my name. I had this dream of becoming a successful real estate investor. I'm getting my teeth kicked in. I'm running out of money trying to make this real estate dream, you know, a reality. And I had to take a job. So I got a job at Indeed.com. They hired me to be an inside sales representative. And I was down to my last $800 in my account. I wasn't going to be able to make rent that month. So I said, I'm going to go into this job and go in there and absolutely crush it, do my very best, do whatever the hell they tell me to do. So one, I can pay my rent. And two, I can um, fund my real estate business and get out of this job as soon as possible and become a full-time entrepreneur. So that was my mentality going into having to take a job. And I went from $800 in my account, not being able to pay rent to 
rookie of the year, top gun, like top of the leaderboard at Indeed. Um, got all the sales awards. And that's why I was able to make, you know, I started making from that to $250,000 a year on my corporate job. And then at the same time, I was locking up and closing real estate deals. I was making, you know, $30,000, $50,000 a month in my real estate business. Um, and after a couple of years, I just moved into doing real estate full time. So there's nothing wrong with having a job, but you know what job stands for? Just over broke. It's court, it's golden handcuffs. It's basically, you know, you're a paid slave. Maybe you're making $250,000 a year, but you're a high paid slave. Either way, at the end of the day, you're working for somebody else. Um, they're determining what your net worth is, what your pay is, and you're never going to uh, become financially free in a W-2. Hey guys, if you know you want to quit your job in the next three months, make sure you're subscribed to this podcast because we've got some incredible frameworks with step-by-step instruction that you're not going to want to miss. Also, leave us a rating and review to let us know your favorite parts and why you want to get financial freedom. What are the things that you wanted to do with your financial freedom, um, including moving to Mexico? Yeah, I mean, I was always a rebel growing up, so... I always had authority problems. I was always getting in trouble. Um, it's hard for me to take, uh, you know, uh, have another grown man tell me like when I can take a lunch, when I need to show up, when I want to go home. Like that just doesn't work well for me. So my like idea of success is being able to do what I want, when I want, with the people that I want to do it with, whenever I want to do it. Right. And it's the classic like, you know, rebellious entrepreneur mindset that uh, is just deep inside of me. And so that was always a burning desire to be able to control my calendar, control my schedule, be able to have time freedom. Obviously money's great. Money is a tool that can solve 98% of life's problems. But um, at the end of the day, that's all it was, was I wanted my freedom. So what does an average day look like for you in Mexico now that you have your freedom? I mean, I do whatever I want. I, <clears throat> I tried to re- retire like and do nothing for a little while. I've been like semi-retired for the last three years, but to retire is to expire, um, you know, and you get very bored very quickly. And I think as, you know, people, you need purpose, you need goals, um, you know, in order to have fulfillment. You know, Tony Robbins says happiness is progress. So if you're not progressing in your life, you know, uh, mentally, spiritually, financially, physically, then you're not going to feel, you're not going to feel happy. So I still you know, get up in the morning and figure out where I can add value to all areas of my life. You know, so I'm taking care of my, um, you know, my body by working out. I'm making sure that, you know, I'm spending time with my family. I'm also making sure that my businesses are continuing to progress. I'm fortunate I have a very good team. So my schedule is pretty flexible. You know, I don't have um, a lot of, uh, you know, I don't have a typical work schedule where I'm showing up to an office, begging the phones, um, I don't work a 40 hour week. You know, I work maybe an hour in my business, an hour or two, and then that's it. Got it. Well, that's amazing, man. I'm, I'm glad. And I, I think that's the secret is exactly what you said, where you tried to retire for three years, but to retire is to expire. And I think that's actually the secret that nobody actually wants to stop working, but they actually want to be doing work that is something that they're very passionate about. And then something where they're not having to be told when to take a lunch break and what hours they need to be in the office and have some control over that without being guilty. And, and it sounds like you're kind of 
talking along the same lines. Exactly. You know, I think that anybody that has that entrepreneurial spirit, you know, can resonate with that. And that's always been true for me. And why did you pick Mexico? So, um, I left, you know, remember I built my uh, real estate operation at, in Austin, Texas. And over the last decade, I built it up. We've got 18 people in my office in Austin. Um, I've actually promoted, um, one of my executives to CEO of my company. And when I promoted him to CEO of the company, that was basically my cue to get out and let him run the company. You know, it doesn't do me any good to hire a CEO and then be working on top of him. So I moved away from Austin, Texas, um, right in COVID, like 2020, I moved to Miami and South Beach and I lived in South Beach, had a great time there. Uh, but I wanted something different. Like I was, yeah, I've lived in the United States my whole life. So I moved to Panama City, Panama, uh, which was a phenomenal time. I had a, a huge, you know, penthouse on the 54th story, 10,000 square feet, actually 11,000 square feet. Um, it was phenomenal and um, had a great time there, but got bored in Panama. So I moved to uh, Cancun, Mexico, where it's a little bit closer to the United States. Like I joke all the time, I'm basically in South Texas. You know, I can get to Austin um, anytime I want. It's a two-hour flight pretty much anywhere to, you know, the United States. Great direct flights everywhere. Um, you've got world-class entertainment, beaches. Uh, people come here all the time, so I get to still see, you know, my friends a lot when they come visit. Uh, it's got a lot going for it, and it's the cost of living is much cheaper than if I were to do, you know, something like this in Miami. And it reminds me of living in Miami again. So I love the beach, love the palm trees, has a lot of, checks all the boxes. Yeah. And in my experience in Mexico City, which I know is not exactly where you're at, there was absolutely incredible food and I would order four entrees and the total would be like $37. So it was just incredible how much value you can get living in Mexico as well from my understanding. I've traveled to a lot of countries. Mexico's got the best food, mm -hmm. hands down. And it's not Mexican food like we get at a Mexican restaurant here. This was just absolutely incredible what I experienced. Not even just Mexican food, all different kinds of cuisines. Like they're very, uh, they take their restaurants serious down there. So it rivals Miami, Dubai, um, you know, Milan, anywhere else you'd want to go in the world. Mm -hmm. So, man, so you started in 2014, took 11 months to get your first deal. And now we're in 2023. So... This has been almost a 10-year journey for you, and you've hired a CEO three years ago. So really, um, you know, you, it took you about six years to, to fully kind of get yourself out of the business. Is that fair to say? Yeah. Yeah. No, I yeah. well, Yeah. So I had a lot of leverage before I left. Like my CEO that I promoted, he was the COO of my company. So he was basically running everything, and I was watching him with training wheels on for you know, a couple of years before I promoted him to CEO and, and fully removed myself. So, Got it. yeah. Okay. So knowing that it took, you know, six years to do that, what were some of the other milestones after doing your first deal, realizing that PPC was a scalable platform that worked well for you? And then I know you actually went virtual and you were one of the first people to start doing deals outside of where you live. So are there any other big milestones that I'm missing? Yeah, going virtual was a big one. So I had a hard time generating leads. Remember, I was in Austin. I was trying to get leads in Austin, San Antonio, Houston, and the cost per lead was very high. Um, 
and I was having a difficult time, yeah, you know, with my marketing in this in this city. So um, I tried doing SEO. I actually got really good. My and I SEOed my website to where I was getting a ton of organic traffic, and I was trying to do that to get leads in Austin and um, the surrounding cities. But uh, the, all the leads I was generating were coming from all over the United States. And I was like, what am I going to do with these? And for the longest time, if it wasn't in, you know, one of the Texas cities, I would just discard it. And then um, I was so low on leads. I was like, you know what? I'm just going to take a shot on one of these, you know, leads from outside of Texas. And I called a lead in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, locked it up, scrambled around, found a buyer, made like $8,000. That was proof of concept. Next thing you know, I had another one right behind it in Ohio, made another um, $12,000 and then I was like, okay, there's something to this. And it really shifted for me when um, my organic traffic died. So Google updated the uh, algorithm and all my hard work that I did trying to get my website to page one got penalized or something happened. And I was wiped off of the first page and never to be seen again organically on Google. And so I was scrambling again. And I said, you know what? I'm going to try to do PBC nationwide and see what happens. And I was shocked because when I opened up my campaigns from just doing like some of the Texas metropolitan areas to doing nationwide, my cost per lead went from like $200 down to like $10. I was like, holy shit. So now I had something to really like sink my teeth into. And there was a lot of um, challenges that I faced, you know, logistically doing nationwide, but I learned that's a new, that's a really cool insight is that, um, if you're going to go and do virtual deals uh, around the country, that's whenever PPC seems to work best and most efficiently. Agreed. Agreed. So that's what we teach heavily in our mentorship is how to do this on a statewide level or nationwide level. Um, so you can see that lower cost per lead. If you're trying to compete in a metropolitan area, um, your, your cost per lead is going to be very high. Interesting. Were there any other major hurdles that you figured out about this going virtual? Um, going virtual. I mean, yes, there's, I could go on for a long time. I don't know. I know this is a quick episode, but you know, a lot of the backend hurdles, of how do you get, um, how do you, you know, find buyers? How do you find the right title company? Um, what about sending you know, buyers into a property with a seller? You know, how do you set the right expectations? So figured all that stuff out. Now we're, you know, doing it. We do got it working like a well-oiled machine, but it took a couple of years. And that's really what we teach in our mentorship is how to do this. So you don't have to go through all those labor pains like I did. Yeah. I, I think that going virtual seems to work well for somebody who lives in a pretty expensive market could be like Austin, Texas, or certainly in California or the Pacific Northwest. Where can people go to find out more about your mentorship on how you do it? Um, you can go to sevenfigurecartel.com. Or just go to my Instagram, Nick Perry, REI, and then I have a link in the bio. You can schedule a free call with my team to talk shop and see if it makes sense for you. Now, I see you're wearing a shirt that says eight figure. What's the difference yeah. there? So we have our seven figure cartel, which is for um, investors that are already in the business, already doing ideals, but are looking to scale up to that seven figure level. And then we have um, our inner circle, which is we it's already sold out. So there's no more eight figure uh, cartel available spots now, but um, that's for our guys that are already doing seven figures that are scaling up to that eight figure uh, mark. And that's one-on-one. We have uh, masterminds, mentorship, uh, but our seven figure cartel is a, 
uh, our flagship product. It has pretty much all the same components of eight-figure cartel. There you have it. If you guys are looking for more listening, Nick actually mentioned one of the struggles he had at the beginning was finding out how to comp a property. And so I'd recommend checking out episode 71 of the Deal Machine podcast, which is how to analyze, analyze a real estate deal. And we also had another guest that replaced a quarter million dollar a year salary living in New York, who ended up getting his first deal and then going virtual. And uh, that one was with Chris Mignon. And that one's episode 70. And we'll see you guys on the next episode. Thank you so much, Nick. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thanks for listening to the Deal Machine Real Estate Investing Podcast. Please leave us a review and follow along wherever you're listening to your podcast.